What's up, everyone? I hope you're doing fantastic today. It is Tuesday, September 22nd, and this is Rafael Garcia here with Schwan Hughes for episode 178 of the MMA Ratings Podcast. How are you doing, my friend? We haven't talked in a few weeks. Uh, not bad, man. Staying busy, staying busy, dealing with school stuff, dealing with basketball stuff. You know the routine. All right, man. How's basketball going? You got these kids watching the playoffs at all? Dude, kids nowadays, my kids, most kids I train, they don't watch basketball. I, they, they, they do not watch basketball. They like to play it, but they do not watch it. it if I meet a kid under, under the age of 15 or 14 who likes to watch basketball, I'm in shock because most kids do not watch it. And girls do not watch girls basketball. Do not watch WNBA at all. Has that always been the case? Because I feel like when I was growing up, kids – like the people that were ballers would watch the games or they, they would like go to practice, practice all day, go home, watch all the games, do it all over again and all over again the next day. It's different time, man. Like they don't, they don't watch game. They watch highlights. They don't watch. And the worst thing about it is nowadays with YouTube and all these, you can get tons of breakdowns of systems of players of coaching styles. Like there's all this information out there and you can see tons of people play from high school all the way to college, all the way to pros. And you can get, see the growth and development kids just don't use it like I, i'm still showing kids what the triple threat is so there's a kid who didn't know how to who didn't do who didn't know how to do a jump stop in basketball i'm like how are you playing on an on a summer team it's one of the best in the state and you don't know about a jump stop like it, it's just it's amazing they don't watch they don't want i watch more basketball than anybody in my house i watch more basketball than any player i know what's the biggest deficiency you see when kids are coming in to you uh to try to play what's the biggest like gap? uh it's a it's a, the biggest the biggest gap i would say is like um most people when they train kids they train them for individual games like the five seven dribble combos all stuff they teach you how to beat the guy in front of you but basketball is a team game so you beating the guy in front of you doesn't mean anything if you're not aware of help defense or you're not a, you're not aware you're not aware of help defense the individual defender or the team come, coming to set a trap they don't know anything about that i tell kids keep their head up and what happens when the help defender comes over and they're like, what do you mean? Or they'll do a move and I'll step out in front of them. And they turn the ball over and I'm like, well, like, what did you, well, I didn't expect you to come out. Well, that's what's going to happen when you get past the first guy. Somebody else is going to roll over. They're not just going to let you score. Stuff like that, like IQ for the game and probably passing. Most kids are terrible passers, terrible passers. You should tell their parents to um, listen to our show, man, so they can hear where their kids suck and they can get on, get on helping them. Well, a lot of a lot of people they get they've been trained by coaches and they have a, a decent enough skill set, but th this is the biggest thing that every kid who trains a lot of kids that are training like they're going to be the number one option on a team like they're going to be the Durant or the LeBron or the Kyrie or whatever and the fact of that matter is most kids aren't good enough athletes or good have good enough skill sets to be the lead player they're not going to get to shoot whenever they want they need to learn how to play in a system make the extra pass box out rebound take good shots, have good shot selection, stuff like that. But they don't train that. All they train is, oh, I have to step back three. You're not going to get that off in a game. Oh, I, I'm put, putting up 4,000 shots. How many passes did you work on? How many rebounds? How much – how about getting, getting rid of the ball, ball of one to three dribbles? Like all the stuff that you need to fit into a team concept. They're playing to dominate, and very few kids in basketball can dominate. It's like 5%. 5% can dominate, but everybody trains like they're going to dominate. And then that's why they can't get on the floor. They can't do anything else when they're not getting 15 or 16 touches. They can't even play. It's. I'm like. I got to be honest with you. You're not. You're. You're five. You're five seven. You're not six four. Ben Simmons can get away with not shooting. You can't be five four and not, 
I get away and get get away with not shooting. It doesn't work that way. Good stuff, man. Good stuff. And guess what, everybody? You got all of that for free. All that basketball talk for free. But we got to move on because we got quite a bit of mixed martial arts action to talk about from this last week and also look forward to a big card this weekend. Schwan, let's go ahead and jump right into it and let's start off with UFC Fight Night 178. I think this was like UFC Vegas 11, I think, something like that. But we had a main event where it went just as everyone really thought it was going to go. Kobe Covington dominated Tyron Woodley for four rounds before the fight was ended due to Woodley's rib breaking. And we have a situation now where Covington is calling for a title shot. Before we talk about that and the other shit that came out of his mouth, let's talk about the fight itself. Uh, What did you see there from Covington? And did he give you anything different that makes you believe he can win the title if he got another shot? Uh, Not really. The thing with Covington, Covington to me, he's not a high-level technical fighter. If you watch his striking, his his offense doesn't flow together. It looks like it flows together because he throws so much of it, but in actual technique, his posi- positioning, his balance, the defensive responsibility, his technique isn't great. What's oh, What I like about Kobe is he's actually, strategically, he's very smart. Strategically, he's a genius. He's doing what Tyron Woodley did early on. He's exploiting a historical hole in most guys' approach as far as their skill set. Most guys can't, can't stand their ground and have somebody coming at them and slip and counter and parry and roll with shots. They can't do it. Second of all, most guys back straight up in straight lines. If you're going to back straight up in straight lines and I'm throwing 50, 60 shots at you, I'm going to get you on the cage. I'm going to work you over. Most guys don't know how to pivot. They don't know how to angle off, so they get stuck on the cage. They don't know how to pivot and angle off, so when he, he runs at them full speed, all they do is back up or cover up. They basically serve themselves up for that style, and Colby recognized this, and he's built his whole, whole style around his ability to set a high pace, build on that high pace, and throw a variety of strikes to kind of make it a little bit harder for somebody who's not disciplined with their footwork and disciplined with their offense to get away from what he's doing. Now, if you're disciplined with it, you can, you can find the angles. You can throw a jab to interrupt him, catch him in between shots and step off. But that has to be second nature to you. Most, most MMA guys can't pivot and fight off angles. They say they can. You see them do it on their pads, but they don't do it enough. And they don't, they don't spar enough legitimate competition because when, it, when, they're apply, when pressure is applied to them, they resort back to covering up and waiting for the guy to stop punching, which Colby never does, or they resort to backing straight up trying to get away and then get stuck on the cage and get punished. That's what happens in 90% of his fights. And because he's such a good wrestler, he doesn't ever have to worry. He doesn't ever have to worry about being taken down. He can force scrambles. He can defend takedowns. So strategically what he does is very high level. Technically it's not, and he's not a great athlete. He's not an explosive puncher. He's not super, super strong. He's, he's fairly durable but most of his durability comes because he's just throwing seven shots to every one you throw so he just drowns you the pace gets to be too much and guys can't generate power or, or they can't keep their power up or they're loading up for big shots and they're missing that that's the secret to it his pace and his forward pressure and his volume essentially throws off everything else about guys striking because they don't have a they don't have a developed enough striking game to counter it in boxing a lot of guys can handle this but in MMA, these guys even though they have more tools they can't. When, they, when a guy approaches them like that, they rely on their wrestling to get him out of it. And he's a good enough wrestler where that, that's not going to work. You have to outstrike him, and these guys don't know how to strike. They don't really know how to strike. Not like they think they do. So he picked up a pretty solid win on Saturday. 
And there's a lot of talk about him fighting Kamar Usman next and how the first fight went, even though Usman stopped him. And while that is an in- intriguing fight there, I want to talk about another fight instead. I want to talk about this Gilbert Burns matchup because I think that that's what's, that should be what's next for him if Burns isn't going to get a shot at Usman, a shot that he earned, but unfortunately COVID-19 knocked him out of it. What does that fight look like to you? Because in my opinion, Burns is a type of individual who is going to be willing to stand and take uh, risk on the feet because he trusts his jujitsu to no end. And while my biggest question would be the cardio factor, if he can do that over a five-round fight or not, but I wanted to hear what you had to say about that because I think that's a more intriguing fight, at least right now, to me. Well, the question isn't so much does he have faith in his striking it's almost the same situation it is with anybody who fights Colby Covington. I don't know that Gilbert Burns can match his pace. I've never seen Gilbert Burns fight at a very high pace and then build on that pace. I've seen him fight at a high pace and, and stay at a high pace, but I've never seen him continuously build on it. Colby Covington seems to always have another gear. And, I, and from what I've seen with Gilbert, offensively he's pretty good. But once again, a lot of guys who face Colby Covington have been offensively good. He's not a, Gilbert Burns isn't a devastating striker. Offensively, he's good. He's not great. Defensively, I think if you put enough pressure on him, you can get to him. You can put him on the cage. You can back him up. You can corner him. Now, Colby can't, maybe can't take him down early because of the grappling advantage, but, when, but Colby Covington usually doesn't take guys down early. He can, he can just spam punches and spam kicks. Unless you're like a, a certain caliber of puncher or you're physically able to slow him down in clinches and match, and match his pace in spots, there's not really much you can do with them. So that's, that's, what, that's what the question becomes with me. What, how does Gilbert Burns beat him? If Bill, Gilbert Burns takes him down, he could do something. But I don't know that he can get him down and hold him down. I think he would scramble and get back out. I don't know that Gilbert Burns is going to take him down early. He's going to have to fight at a high pace. He's going to have to exchange shots. He's going to have to work, work a lot harder than he wants to work. And then it's a matter of does he have the energy to get a takedown or finish or, or, or counter the takedown and find a submission when he's eventually taken down. I don't know the answer to that. I haven't seen anybody who's, I haven't seen him fight somebody with a with a pace setting like Kobe Covington. Now, if he could get him in bat spots on the ground, yeah, he could probably finish. I don't know how he does that though. I don't know that he's a good enough wrestler. I double. I well, I uh, I think he's a good enough wrestler to to slow down Kobe's wrestling, and I've that's just from what I've seen from a uh, jiu-jitsu standpoint, because he faces a lot of guys in the jiu-jitsu space that love to wrestle as well, and he's done well there. But what I've also seen is that, he, after, well, let me, let me take a step back, because frequently in the jiu-jitsu space, he's the one pushing the wrestling. So there's that. But when he is on the mat, he is very aggressive from a submission standpoint. But again, I agree with you. I wonder if he's going to be able to do that for longer than 10 15 minutes tops. Yeah, that's that's the problem. A lot of guys can hang with Kobe that first round or second round, but then it starts going and they start slowing. And if you throw in the wrestling, wrestling works, but if you don't get those takedowns, that's a lot of energy you wasted. We know Kobe can defend takedowns and counter takedowns and and keep his pace. I don't know that Gilbert Burns can do that. Gilbert Burns is usually the guy that people are afraid to take down, so he has a he has the free reign on the feet. Kobe's gonna engage him on the feet because there's not as big a price to pay with Gilbert Burns. Maybe he's got a little bit sneakier striking and more technical, but how 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 much does that technique hold up 
when you're face when you're getting seven, eight, nine, ten shots. How well does that technique hold up when you're having to work harder and think at a faster pace than you're used to working at? Because this guy won't be backed off. He's not going to back him off. I don't know that he hits hard, hits any harder than Tyron Woodley, even at this stage. Hits any harder than Robbie Lawler. Hits any harder than anybody that Colby coming to face RDA. Whoever else he's made, I, I don't know that he hits hard. Even Usman had a trouble keeping him off. So the question is, can Burns neutralize the wrestling or, or, or pose his will in wrestling exchanges? And can Burns actually hit hurt him with every shot he throws? I don't think the answer is yes. And I don't know that Burns is defensively good enough to stay away from Colby's volume and his physicality on the feet. Good stuff there, sir. So before we talk about Covington's comments, let's talk about Woodley for a second here. And he's lost, I believe, 15 rounds in a row, 14 rounds in a row, because it stopped in the, in the, in the fourth. First thoughts, should he retire, yes or no, and why? Uh, I've never wanted to tell guys to, to retire. I mean, he, he's, I, I haven't seen him lose to anybody who isn't deemed as fairly elite. Colby Covington is considered to be elite. Um, Gilbert Burns is more or less elite. Kamar Usman is the current champion. So you haven't seen him lose any scrubs. Not like, and no offense to Neil Magny's not a scrub, but he hasn't lost to a, a Neil Magny. He hasn't lost to somebody who hasn't made a name. He's not losing to this version of Donald Cerrone or something like that. He's not losing to Randy Brown. He's losing to guys who are in the top four, top five, top three of the welterweight division. So all this means so far is that he's not elite. The problem with, with Tyron Woodley is he's built a style like Colby. His style is built on his historical flaws of MMA fighters. Guys want to push you to the cage. So all he used to do was back himself into the cage, let guys come in, and because they come in on straight lines, and they come in with obvious strikes, and they telegraph a little bit, it allowed him to land huge counters and light people up and, and basically either grab a big lead or allowed him to finish the fight. Now, guys, guys, guys are hip to it. So now they, they come in with a jab, they exit with a jab, they faint, or they just throw a lot of volume knowing that if he doesn't knock him out with the first one or two shots he throws, that essentially he's, he's going to gas and he's going to resort to being defensive. Now there's things that he could do differently. He could, he could leg kick. It's hard. It's, he's not the same athlete he used to be, but he, he's still a, a, decent, a good enough athlete. He could punish guys with leg kicks. If he would focus heavily on the body, he could really finish guys, even throwing 15 punches around. If he focused on the body, he could wear guys down. He he could make it a level playing field. But at this stage, the question is, can he make those adjustments? And everything, everything his corner is telling him to do is stuff he's never had to do or he hasn't had to do in like seven to ten years. You can't, it's hard to make adjustments when you've been hardwired to do one thing. You've had so much success doing one thing, and you have such a concern as far as your gas tank maintains. So can he still be effective? I feel that he could still be lower-level guys. He could probably go in Bellator and get some wins. He could probably win some guys in the UFC, but he's no longer elite. And he's going to have to win now two, three, four fights in a row for him to prove that he's elite. Because none of the elite guys are going to want to fight him because he doesn't bring anything to the table now. He's on a three-fight losing streak, and he's been dominating all three of the fights. Why am I – if I'm Wonder Boy, why am I fighting him again? That's, that's pointless to me. If I'm Leon Edwards, why even mention this dude's name? I mean, nobody who's, who can get him right, right back into elite status is willing to fight him because he hasn't shown himself to be anywhere near elite. And I don't know that he can make the necessary changes – to maintain a position as being an elite fighter, especially at, at his age. He doesn't have that athleticism anymore. He doesn't have that explosiveness anymore. He's actually got to have fundamental skills that, that fit and match across the board. He doesn't have that. So it, it, I, should he retire? No, he can still make money. He's still a name. 
but he's no longer an elite fighter. And if he's okay not being an elite fighter, then keep fighting. If he, he's trying to be elite, then uh, he, he, there's a, he's got some trouble. He's got a lot of work ahead of him. So why, uh, see, I have a hard time with this because I am leading to the side where I think he should retire. And I hate to say that, but he, he I believe I was listening to, um, what's his name? Uh, Luke Thomas talk about this. Uh, this week, I believe he was saying that the worst thing about watching Tyron's uh, current slump, for lack of a better term, is that he's not throwing back. He's in there and he is just, it's like he's waiting, waiting, waiting for someone to almost put their hands behind their back so he can be ensured that that punch that he wants to throw is going to land. And when you get to that point, I don't think he should be playing anymore. It's kind of like Vinny, Vinny Tessaverde's last football season where the dude could barely move. And he looked like a tree out there trying to uh, complete passes and, and, and dodge defenders. And it was just that like, he just can't do it anymore. And I kind but, of but, feel but that that's same the, way about Tyron. That's the thing about it, though. That's For the past seven to ten years, that's been his fighting style. The only difference is before, the, he, sees the, he sees the same openings. He can see them in his mind. The thing is now, since he's not as explosive he's lost a step or two when he and he so he's not as dynamic when he hits guys he doesn't just put him away he, he doesn't put the fear of god in them now so he knows when he throws a hard shot yeah it's gonna be hard but it's not gonna be enough to scare a guy off it's not gonna be enough to drop a guy which means they're gonna fire right back with three four or five he's not used to that he's not used to hitting a guy and a guy come back with four or five shots hitting a guy and a guy come back two or three shots he's used to hitting a guy and a guy resetting and trying to figure out how i can avoid Tyron's explosiveness and his power. He no longer has that. So now the same thing that, that defined him as a fighter is now limiting him. It's not so much that he, it, this isn't any different. Tyron, he's been a low, he's been a low volume counter puncher for the past seven to 10 years. It got him a title, but the difference is he's not as athletic. So now there's a price for every punch he throws and he doesn't want to pay it. That, 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 that's essentially what it comes down to. He can retool, but it's going to take a while because he doesn't have that huge athletic Athletic advantage. It's what, I, it's what we always talk about with fighters. Guys train a certain way based on their athletic advantages. And as soon as that athletic advantage is taken away, that whole style they came up with doesn't work. It's ineffective. It's total garbage. And now that he doesn't have that explosiveness, that first step, that, that lights out power, that low volume style just makes him look bad because you know he can't finish. You know he can't hurt guys anymore. Or he hasn't been able to. He hasn't shown that he's able to. Okay. All right, I'm not going to disagree with that. So we got to talk about it. Um, and we got to talk about Covington and his foolishness. So I'm going to let you go first. What what do you make of... I'm, I'm, we're only going to ask, answer two questions, but what do you make of his comments uh, post-fight press conference on, on Saturday? Um, I mean, it, it's I, I don't think it's a great idea. I'd... I'd rather him not say inflammatory things, but and I, and I don't know I don't know if he's a real real racist or he's just racist in the instance that, that he, he doesn't in the instance that he doesn't value the power his words carry or if he's willfully ignorant in that the things he's criticizing and avoiding the real issue of the things he's criticizing, talking about you know the military, I support America, and not really talking about the actual issue of innocent, you know not innocent. In some cases, not criminally innocent, but men being black men, black people being punished obsessively, sometimes with the 
with their lives paying in the balance for guys aren't following the following the law the word the, the word of the law it's like he's he's missing the main issue and i'm not sure if he's doing it because he's inherently just a racist person or if he's doing it in the instance of i'm a white person i don't really have to deal with these issues they don't really impact me so i'm just going to talk like everything's happening in a vacuum instead of talking about the actual issues and the dynamics they come up with this issue so I, I don't know which one it is i don't know him i don't like to make assumptions. i don't like people making assumptions about me i don't like to make assumptions about people but the way he's talking is very dangerous because there's a whole lot of people who felt empowered by the president and hit in politicians who are not addressing these issues not calling these issues out and are in fact calling out protesters and people who are trying to make a change as the terrorist and the problem and now you have yet another person for them to get behind who is for all intents and purposes a very strong physically powerful person who can embolden them to say certain things and do certain things it's like when you see a crowd of people doing it, you feel safe because the crowd well now you have a top-rate mma fighter who's saying and doing these things so it makes you feel a little bit more confident in what you're saying or the confrontation or the confrontational nature of what you're saying. Um, so, you, so you said two things I wanted to really pick up on here. And the first is the emboldening part. And again, we don't know for a fact what Kobe really thinks at home. We don't. But what we do know is that he sees this right wing MAGA personality as a way to put money in his pocket, a way to always be in front of the cameras and whether it works or not to him it's working because he's getting title shots he claimed he was about to be cut from the organization before he took on this act so we you're right we don't know whether or not he is really a bigot or not but you talked about the fact that he is emboldening people and that is the biggest piece of this that had that i have an issue with because right now we live in a climate where people are very emboldened to do things that are out of control, say things that are out of control and do things that are out of control, things that put other people in danger. I want to tie this back to the UFC right now and say that Conor McGregor's rhetoric against Khabib Nurmagomedov helped Khabib feel so emboldened that he was going to jump into the crowd and beat the shit out of everybody on, on Conor's team after beating up Conor. Had the UFC quashed that, to begin with, that situation wouldn't have happened. They got off lucky that no one got hurt in that matter. And while I'm saying that I don't expect Tyron Willie and Kobe, Kobe Covington to break into a fight, and if there was crowds or something like that, I don't expect someone to rush the crowd. Or you don't never know. Somebody may actually try to rush the uh, cage and do so. You've seen in pro wrestling all the, all the time. People try to rush the ring because they don't like one wrestler over another the thing here is that that if something was to happen either to covington or to one of the individuals that he completely denigrates with his speech the ufc is culpable of that because they don't manage they think that not managing this speech state speech is okay that and that's one aspect of of the problem for me, the other aspect is the is the fact that the fan base, this 18 to 35 white male um, demographic is as problematic as, as it as it comes. 
Twitter is a cesspool. And if you look and if you're into certain passions, whether it be MMA, sports in general, um, video games, movies, whatever it is, there is a growing white male voice that is very disgusting if you listen to it. Covington's actions is are continue to add to that voice. And the fact that the UFC sits back and says, we're okay with that. That's a problem to me. Dana White will say that he has a problem with Israel Adesanya dancing on his way to the cage, but he won't say he has a problem with Kobe Covington calling a black man terrorist because he speaks for Black Lives Matter. Those are two very important examples that stand out to me as why this is a very serious problematic issue. The UFC knows what they're doing. Dana White knows what they're doing. Kobe Covington knows what they're doing. And there's a problem there. And the last thing I want to say about this is, as a Black man, watching this sport is becoming more and more difficult at, at times. If I didn't have to work this card on Saturday, I wouldn't have watched it. I'm almost at the point where I'm almost willing to boycott any card that Kobe Covington is on because I just can't, I can't deal with the shit um, anymore. It's just, it's just too frustrating to me. There, they, black people's money, is, their money is green too. But the UFC has decided that we're okay with this individual being so uh, divisive and so hateful that if black people looked at our sport and said we don't want anything to do with that, we're okay with not. We're okay with that. We don't want their money. In my view, that is what the UFC is saying by allowing him to continue to behave the way he is with so much blowback coming their way. Yeah, I. It's very. It's like because he hasn't said key words or he has an explanation that people are willing to give things a pass. Like he had, well, he hasn't said this. He hasn't attacked. He hasn't. He hasn't called him this. He hasn't called him that. He hasn't said this. He hasn't said that. He hasn't made this distinctive, obvious statement that w- will prove racism or prejudice. And so people are like, until he said something across this line, we can't really take him seriously. We can't really attack him as that. It's just an act. And they don't understand that in the times we're in, this act can be very inflammatory. You know, it's like this isn't the time to to push that narrative. You know, there's this isn't the time to be willfully ignorant of what the real issue is. And that's that's where my problem with him comes into. You're being willfully ignorant. And to him, it, it might just be that. It might be a way of keeping his job. It might be a way of keeping his way keeping himself in the center of the, the focus. It might be a way of standing out among the Conor McGregor's and the whoever else's, but these are actual real life issues. And, and it's just, you're, you're just, you're just exacerbating the situation. I guess you could say it's different than wrestling. People say it's just like pro wrestling, but this isn't pro wrestling. You know, pro wrestlers weren't actually talking to the real life president. Pro wrestlers weren't, weren't calling people out and calling them, you know, terrorists or traitors or whatever the sense of that nature you know you're you're making very harsh statements and they're harsh statements that i don't know that he could back up or explain if he was forced to have to debate or or defend his positions outside of saying it's just an act or you know i just love america it's like he doesn't have a, a legitimate answer or a legitimate response if you actually pose the question to him in a political or socioeconomic sense i, I don't know i don't know that he could have that argument so it's like he's the wrong person to be having this talk but he's the right person for Trump. He's the right person for the people who believe that they're right in this because he's somebody who's strong enough to say something, who's, who's popular enough to say something and strong enough that 
most people can't can't change his mind on it. They can't intimidate him. They can't bully him. They can't, you know, you're not going to see a crowd of people try to run up on Colby Covington. It, it's just, it's mostly not going to happen. And most of the fighters, you know, they're not in a position where they can actively actively push back against him or Dana. You know, they're they're employees. They need their money just like anybody else. So it's just a weird, it's a weird circumstance. It's one I'm not a big fan of. I try not to get too much much attention to it because that's that's what he wants whether he's really believes it or not what he ultimately wants is the attention that comes with it okay all right um and let's move on because i don't want to spend too much time on it we got quite a bit to talk about cosmich mayoff needed 17 seconds to defeat um whatever the hell that guy gm3 i can't remember his last name Mishot, gerald Mishot. yeah there you go what did you think about the 17 seconds, man? Is this, I mean, was this Jared freezing? Or, I mean, because like there's, the, the, the hype train is full steam ahead. And we're going to talk about that in a second. But are you on board or are you off? I can't say I'm on because he's still been facing guys. I mean, like most of the guys he's faced are guys he gets positions he wants to and they can't get out of it. He's a better athlete. He's a better, he's got a better skill set. He's, more established and more experienced as fighters than they are. Um, in the case of Mearshart, it's impressive what he did, but Mearshart backed up to the fence and essentially walked right into that, that right hand. And I don't know if it's because he was nervous. I don't know if the hype got to him. I don't know if he was intimidated. He didn't want to get into any grappling exchanges or he was fearful of the athleticism, but he, he, essentially, he essentially walked himself into that. I can't be incredibly impressed by it because it wasn't, it wasn't, anything really impressive. Mearshart backed up, backed himself to the cage and essentially drifted to the left, walking into the line of the right hand. I mean, there's no, there's no easier knockout. That I'd be insulted if he couldn't get a knockout. He, he, he set himself up for that. I, I can't be really impressed with that. I'm not saying Mearshart's not a good fighter. I'm not saying he's not a tough guy, but he, 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 he served himself up no worse than Randa Marker served herself up against against um, Mackenzie Dern. It, it was that egregious of the mistakes he made. Not, not one, not two, but like three mistakes. So it's impressive because he got the finish, but when you look at how, how it happened, he didn't have to do anything to create that. His, his opponent did everything for him. His opponent fought like he had never been in the cage before. He, he fought like a very inexperienced fighter. So he is headed into his next fight against Damian Maya. He's already a minus, or excuse me, I think he's a minus 500 favorite. I've seen 350, I've seen 500. So, on one hand, it's Damian Maya who is at the tail end of his career. But on the other hand, it's Damian Maya who, if you fuck around, will choke you unconscious without any, and then ask you if you're okay afterward, like he did John Fitch. Are those numbers right to you, or do you think he's going to blow through Damian Maya as well? I mean, Damian Maya at this point, I don't, you know, he's he's not the same guy I used to be athletically. He was never a great athlete, but he's not the same athletically. He can't maintain his strength throughout a, a three-round three fight, much less a five-round one. He's still got the grappling chops, but his striking, due, due to the, 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 the holes he has athletically, has made him more vulnerable on the feet. I mean, this is if he's getting Damian Maya, he's getting Damian Maya at the best time possible. So to me, they're still doing him favors. They're getting him a name fight that will increase his chances at getting a win. So he can be like, well, I beat an elite guy, I beat a guy 
I beat Dan Mayan, Dan Mayan's beating all these names. He beat all these names four, five, and six years ago. He hasn't beat these guys recently, but he's going to be able to leverage that into making himself a bigger name and hopefully getting a bigger name fight. I don't know that this guy wants to fight the best. It seems like he wants to fight the biggest name, which I, I, I find when I respect it, but I still don't know how good he is because they haven't put him in with real opposition yet. They haven't put him in with a guy who I expected to beat him. And until I see him in a 50-50 fight or a guy who I would favor over him, I, I, just, can't, I just can't go with it. Who would you place him with next? Let's say he defeats um, Maya. Where would you place him next? Uh, just like, like a, a, a level up. Um, you know, I know he, I know he, I mean, to be honest, Leon Edwards is looking for a big fight at this point with the way this guy talks. It, it would be a big, big fight if Leon Edwards could get him, but I, I don't know that Edwards takes that fight. And, and Neil Magny, anybody who's, who, who's been in big fights and who won't, who won't allow him to dictate what they they're doing somebody who's prepared to have answers to the questions he's posing. I don't think Mirashart was that guy. I think Neil Magny, Neil, somebody like Neil Magny, maybe even a Gunnar Nelson, just somebody who's got a little bit something more in their tank and who's a little bit more accomplished as a fighter, who's got something athletically or something strategically that's going to ena- enable them to compete against him. Right now, he hasn't faced a guy who, who who's had that, and I like to see what he does when he, when he, when he does facing a Donald Cerrone at this point won't do it. Facing a Damian Maya at this point won't do it. Uh, you know, even Nico Price would be a better, better opponent just because he's got some ability and he's going to go out and, 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 and fight you. He's not just going to concede things. Um, Luke, Luke would be a good fight. Um, some, somebody, somebody of that nature, just somebody who you know is going to actually fight him and somebody with enough, enough athleticism that they can get out of some bad spots and when they put him in bad spots, they, they can punish him, which in my opinion, he hasn't faced as of yet. <laughs> So, I want to keep it moving a little bit. What else stood out from this card? I got three names here, and I want to talk about Johnny Walker, Donald Cerrone, Mackenzie Dern. Let's start with Donald Cerrone first. Is he is he done? I mean, he'll be done when he says he's done. To be quite honest, with his with his following, he could he could fight in a bunch of different organizations, and he's going to draw a certain amount of attention. He's he's going to impact ratings, whether he's winning or losing. Just who he is and the fan base he's built off of all the performances he's had over the years, he, he's going to bring in ratings. He's going to bring in some money. Um, I don't, I think he might be finished as an elite fighter. He doesn't seem to have, he's never had the greatest chin. He seems to be having a harder time recovering from damage. He takes damage even worse. He recovers from damage worse than he ever did before. Um, the punching power isn't there. I think he still sees the holes. I see he sees the openings. I know he knows how to create the openings, but when you're an average athlete or slightly above average athlete and you lose a step or a step and a half, you can't punish guys for those openings. You you can't get out of bad spots. You can't turn a fight around if it goes badly. And that's that's where he's at right now. But he's almost in the same position as Woodley. He probably could beat some, you know, less than stellar guys who aren't great athletes, but his time is fighting elite guys and beating elite guys. It just doesn't exist now. He's starting to lose and be pushed by guys who aren't anywhere nearly in their skill set or in their accomplishments, you know. Johnny Walker, what are your thoughts about that fight there? That this one pissed me off so much because um who was he fighting? Uh Ryan Spawn. Yeah, that's right. Ryan Spawn. Like I am a brown belt in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Okay. And I don't know everything. I'll never front like I'll know anything. If I get my black belt, I'll still never say I know everything. But one thing I do know 
is you don't go from mount to bottom trying to throw up a triangle. If you get on mount and you feel your opponent coming out the back door, you adjust while throwing, you throw strikes to get him to stop moving and then you adjust. The fact that he went to his back after dropping Walker twice, he deserved to lose this fight, in my opinion. Well, the thing with Walker is, and the, the thing with Walker's, Walker really isn't a great fighter. He, he's not even really a smart one. He's a guy with a, a, great, phys, a great, great set of physical tools. He's not particularly durable. He's not particularly high IQ. He's not particularly skilled, but he's, he's very flexible. He's got great balance and timing. He's got great explosiveness and he's pretty strong. You can't afford to fight stupid against him because it's hard to make up the gap in talent athletically. It's hard to make up the gap athletically talently. I don't know what Spawn was thinking when he, when he did what he did, but um, clearly he thought he could exploit something, something, some, of the holes, some of the holes in um, Walker's game, technically, I, I'm assuming, and, and he got punished for it. It was just bad IQ, bad decision-making, uh, bad thought process and how you uh, how you handle a fight I guess but um it was disappointing he he had a, he had a chance to get a big win over a guy who's not a great fighter but a guy who is a name fighter and he basically he let it go regardless of what you think about the elbows behind the head whatever he was in position to win and he gave that up by fighting a very dumb fight so Mackenzie Dern is the last one and my issue isn't necessarily with Mackenzie Dern it's with random Marcos. I don't care what Mackenzie Dern does to get on the ground, to end up on the ground. You do not go down there with, and if, if your life, as if your life depends on it, because you see what happens when you do. The thing that cracked me up the most, because I was thinking about it today while I was in the gym, is if you listen to Mackenzie's post-fight press conference, she said that she was going for a mounted go-go plot at first because it's never been done in the UFC. So every woman that fights in MMA that heard that post-fight press conference needs to immediately put it in their head that they can't go to the ground with her. Why? Because Mackenzie Dern knows her her jujitsu is so good that she can do stuff to you that's literally never been done in the sport. I think about that. Somebody you're fighting saying, you know what, I'm so good in this space that I can come into this fight and know that if this happens, I can do something to you that's never been done in the sport. Yeah, I, I'm not I, I'm not opposed to that. Even though when she fought Amanda Rebus, I think Rebus went to the ground with her a couple times and wasn't finished. I don't have a problem with you going to the ground with her. My thing is when you stay in extended exchanges on the ground with her. If you want to get and a quick that, takedown... That was or, the thing that Rebus didn't do. She didn't stay in extended... Um, she didn't stay in extended spots on the ground with her. And the only reason she scored takedowns in that fight is because she was countering Mackenzie Dern's takedowns. But yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's just, it's like anything else. It just has to be set up correctly. Like saying, well, you can't stand Lafitte with Israel Asanya unless you're a world-class striker. Anderson Silva's not a world-class striker. He he went three rounds with him and didn't get knocked out. Kelvin Gaslam isn't a world-class striker. And he get, he gave as good as he got for the better part of five rounds. So it's not it's not a matter of it's impossible. It's a matter of how is it set up and what's which your point in doing it. Now, if she makes take down, you counter, you take her down, you get back up. You wear her down because historically, mentally, she's broken. And physically, she's gassed when forced to fight at a high pace. You don't, engage, you don't make this. It, it's the same mistake Julia Vila made with Sajar Eubanks. She engaged with her own ground. Instead of getting back up and breaking contact and doing everything she could to get back to her feet and then resetting, 
she engaged with her on the ground. But that's that's Randa Marcus for you. She's a low IQ fighter, has great physical tools. She should be, be she should have a much better record than she has. But she 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 hasn't. She's plateaued as far as her skill set, and her IQ is just ridiculous. She just makes boneheaded, dumb moves when she fights. And in this moment, the takedown wasn't the problem. Engaging in extensive grappling exchange with somebody who's one of the top three to five women in the world is beyond stupid. You don't do that, and you especially you don't do that early when you're still when your when your skin's still dry, when she's still fresh and 100 percent locked in. Now, if you go you go a hard three rounds and you're defending and you're punishing her and you're throwing her and you're tripping her and you're hitting her with some quick shots and you're extending her, yeah, you might be able to do that later on. But you can't do that that early in a fight. You just can't. It's the same. Colby Covington did it to Damian Maya, and I know that Marcus is no Covington, but he he took Maya down late in the round and chopped him up. Usman took him down late in the late in the fight and chopped him up when he was exhausted and worn out from the the stand up exchanges. You can't do that early. That's not even a matter of bad tape. It's a matter of bad IQ and bad fight game planning. So either her team is totally overconfident in her grappling skill and encourage her to do something like that, or she went she went a rogue and decided, well, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna test her where she's at, and that's just stupid. You test her on your terms. You don't test her when you want to. It's uh, almost like when we we had CP Grant on. We were talking about Mighty Mouse. He was fighting a Brazilian Jiu Jitsu black belt, and everybody was like, oh, it's so it's so impressive. He submitted him. He submitted him like late in the fourth round after he beat the hell out of him on the feet. That's not impressive. He would have submitted him in the first three minutes of the first round. That would have been impressive because that would have been pure grappling. You're still dry. He's still dry. He's still sharp. He's not tired. Skill against skill. He didn't do that. He exploited his, his subpar wrestling. He exploited his subpar striking. Then he took him down, beat him up some more, exhausted him, and then he submitted him. That's how you do it. Random Marcus just threw a clear game plan out the window. And, and one last thing, Mackenzie Dern is terrible at wrestling. All you have to do is defend the takedowns, punish her, defend the takedowns, punish her, beat her up on the feet, and win an easy decision. For the life of me, I do not understand why she would intentionally seek to engage her in the way she did. It's just, it's just stupid. It's just bad. It's just bad fighting. It's just, it's just very bad fighting. Mm-hmm. Very, very, very bad fighting. Well, we're gonna talk about some good fighting. Because on Saturday, we have UFC 253, where Israel Adesanya and Paulo, Paulo Costa are fighting in the main event, UFC 185-pound title on the, on, on the um, line. Both men are undefeated in MMA. Schwan, you go first. How do you see this fight um, playing? Uh, it really just matters. I, I feel like, I feel like, I feel like Costa has been getting a little better he used to just be like a wrecking ball and just run guys over and take a huge amount of punishment and just walk through it to get to his spots and punch to the body and eventually throw those body start off the body and then go to the body head combinations and break guys down and knock guys out i feel like now he's got a little bit more control aggression i think he picks his shots a little bit better i think he changes the speeds on the shots a little bit more not a whole lot but instead of throwing everything full power he might throw 100%, 90%, 80%, 70%. He kind of switches it up, and he, he makes it a point to place his shots very well. He's not just wasting energy. He doesn't get tired nearly as much as he used to. And, and when he got the guy trapped, instead of just waiting in and, and letting him hit him with whatever's coming back in, now he's trying to work his way into range, whether it's behind a jab, behind a feint, or changing levels, or, or coming off at an angle so he can get land a clean shot to set up the next shot. So you see the growth in his skill set. Um, the problem for him is all the guys he's fought 
haven't had really good footwork, haven't been really good on the counter, and have essentially done half his work for him as they go to the cage because they don't have good footwork or a poise when a guy's throwing volume or throwing heat at him. So they back themselves in the cage, and they do have to work for him. So he can rest, and he can just tee off, and all they do is stay on the cage and cover up and wait till he gets tired, and they fire back. That's not going to happen with Adesanya. Adesanya is a little bit better at managing distance. He's a longer fighter. He's got a he's got a consistent, a fairly consistent jab. He's got a variety of shots he can use. He's got good timing, and he's got good. He has a good understanding of, of spacing and cer- spacings for angles, pivots, rolling with shots, kind of filling space with strikes or, or providing space so that you overcommit. He can he can punish you for it. So a lot of the things that I've 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 liked in Costa have been assisted by technical limitations in the guys he's fought. Technical limitations that won't be present against Adesanya. The one thing that will be present is that Adesanya is a very inbuilt guy. You can pressure him, Anderson Silva did. He's not a one-punch kind of guy. I know the fight against Whitaker made it seem as such. He's, he's not a one-punch guy. If he was, he would have got Kelvin Gaston out of there. And the fact of the matter is, if you pressure him, if you're not scared and you're willing to pressure, you can get to spots where you can land on him. The question is, you can't headhunt it. Kevin Gaston missed a bunch of shots because he was headhunting. He just goes to the body. He's going to land all day long. He goes kicks to the leg. He's going to land all day long because a lot of his, a lot of Adesanya's defense is slipping and rolling and leaning and kind of spinning out where his head, his head isn't there to be hit. But if you throw to the head, follow up to the body, you throw to the body, you'll miss the head, but you'll, you'll be in right position. You, you have your hips loaded to punish the body. Or if you just start out to the body, that'll freeze him, hold him in position. And you can follow with the kick, or you can come over the top and land a right or left hand, whichever you prefer. But I don't know physically that he can. He, I, I've never believed that Adesanya can take as good as he pitches. I believe he can't catch like he pitches. And I think if Costo can put five to seven shots together early and go to the body heavily, he can slow him down. I think the main thing is to slow him down and to punish him wherever you hit him. Punch him in the chest, punch him in the shoulders, punch him in the ribs, punch him in the arms, whatever you can do to build up a trit of damage. You just don't headhunt. You just don't walk in wildly and crazily, and you can, you can break him down physically. I believe physically you can bully him. I believe physically you can break him down. I don't know that Paulo has enough skill to straight up outbox him or outstrike him or really even have a strategy that's going to make it a matter of a mental issue, mental game between them. I don't think he can win that, but if he applies some poise and some controlled aggression and he heavily focuses on that body, changing levels, and, and, and rolling with shots and, and committing to that body, I feel that he can win the fight. The only problem is, is he going to be able to get to his spots routinely? And is his cardio going to hold up so he can maintain the work rate necessary to get Adesanya out there? Because early on, he's, he, I think he's going to have to walk through some fire to get to the spots he wants to get to. And he's going to have to walk through some fire to hold the spots he wants to get into. And it's a matter of, can he maintain his poise? And he, can he do enough defensively to get to those spots and have enough left over to take the fight over. That, that, that's where my, my questions in the fight become. That's where my concern for him becomes in the fight. My concern for Adesanya is the same as always. I don't think he's as durable as, as they make him out to be. Gaslam had him busted up. And if Gaslam had you busted up, I can't imagine what one, one or two of Costa's shots are going to do to you. So you said something really, really key that I wanted to um, actually harp on and kind of second to is whether or not Costa can avoid um, headhunting because... There's a key sequence in the Castellan fight where I remember that Kelvin had um, Israel hurt and he could have scored a very, it was like maybe in the fourth, fourth or fifth round, maybe fourth round, he could have scored a very important takedown 
that would have given him opportunity to score a lot of points and put some hurting on Israel. But instead, he kept going to the head, which allowed Adesanya to recover. Costa can make that same same mistake, and I and I get not concerned, but I wonder if he's going to headhunt, as you point out, because yeah, we have the the Yoel Romero fight to really point at where he was trying to get Yoel out out of there. He was trying to make a statement. But I look back to the Uriah Faber fight, not the Uriah, Uriah, Uriah Faber, goodness, Uriah Hall fight before that, where he ate a lot of unnecessary damage from Hall before putting him out, just because it seemed like he was trying to send a message and get him out of there. That puts you in a dangerous position when you're fighting a sniper like um, Adesanya, and I wonder if that's going to come into play on Saturday. Well, you think it has to? I mean, like, Costa is not a world class striker. He's a he's probably a very he's a in, it, it, as it pertains to mixed martial arts, he's a world class athlete with world class power, world class durability. His striking is pretty nuts and bolts. It's it, it's pretty basic. He's not doing anything super high level as far as the hand traps and the the angles he's taking and and the layer of his the layers of his offense. It, it's pr- pretty straight ahead. But and that's fine. Simplicity can work. But it, it requires he's been has such an athletic advantage, and he's been facing guys who aren't really fundamentally sound strikers. They have a couple of tricks, they have a couple of ideas, but they don't really know how to fight off the back foot. They don't really know how to feint and draw things out on a consistent basis. They don't really ha- have the mental focus to perform in hard, tough fights for three rounds, five rounds. Uriah Hall for as devastating as it can be when he can't t- take an early lead or he can't dominate you or scare you off with his athleticism. He tends to make mistakes. He tends to get lazy. He tends to head and he tends to throw the most ridiculous strikes at the bad time. Um, Yo Romero, for all his trickiness and his, his veteran seasoning, the fact of the matter is he doesn't work at a high work rate. He'll let you outwork him. He'll just land one or two big counter shots. So if you can navigate that and use kind of some feints or kind of use some feints and kind of draw his stuff out, you take a lot, a lot of what he does off the table as far as being dangerous. Adesanya has a, a bag of skills, and he has a deep bag of skills. And he's not just offensively gifted. He's as far as as far as MMA goes, he might as well just be Pernell Whitaker. He's he's difficult to hit. He's difficult to master the range. He's difficult to counter. He's difficult to lead on. It's not going to be enough to just have brute force. There has to be some craft behind it. There has to be some strategy. I would suggest him punishing him in any turn. Punch the elbows. Punch the forearms. Punch the chest. Punch the ribs. Anything you can touch on, you need to be doing a trit of damage because if you're just going to make it a pot shot battle at range, I don't see how Costa wins it. I don't think he's quick enough. I don't think defensively he's sound enough. And I don't think he offensively he's accurate enough to win just a low volume pot shot type fight. He's got to put pressure on him, put Adesanya in positions where he's, he feels forced to strike, whether it's a jab, whether it's a kick, whether it's a feint, draw that out and then counter him. I would suggest to the body. Everything to the body first, body-head combinations. Find your rhythm. Make sure you're consistently landing on something so that he has something in the back of his mind knowing that anything I throw, there's a price to pay for. I'm getting kicked in the legs, or I'm getting punched in the stomach or punched in the chest, and that's going to help him find his rhythm on the feet. If he's just going to headhunt or he's just going to walk straight in or he's just going to think, well, I'm going to do one or two tricks, and that's going to be enough to get, get through to Adesanya, I don't, I don't think that's going to work. I think it has has to be controlled aggression, and I think he has to be able to draw some of his attacks out, change his levels, and go body head, and use his physicality. If it's going to be just a te- technical sl- slow-paced fight, I don't see how he wins it. I haven't seen enough from him defensively 
or as far as slickness offensively that says he can win that kind of fight. It, it's going to be a tough. It, I, I expect it to be a finish. Either Costa is going to get chopped up and stopped because of cuts and exhaustion, or I feel I feel that he can physically break Adesanya if he can get to his spots and stay in them long enough to do the the damage he needs to do. I don't. I still don't believe Adesanya. He might be world class at dishing punishment. I don't believe he's world class at taking it. I believe Silva shook, shook him up a little bit with his shots. I believe that Robert Whitaker kind of stung him a little bit with his shots. I believe that Kelvin Gastelum could have got him out of there with his shots. And Gastelum isn't the hitter that Costa is. Silva isn't the hitter that Costa is. Whitaker isn't the hitter that Costa is. So you can't get to him, but you have to have a plan outside of just being physically dominant and, and aggressive in what you're doing. There has to be some strategy to it. I believe that Costa's taking the necessary steps forward to have that strategy. But once again, I don't know what he does in the big I don't know what he does in the big show. It the, I can you can you can have a clear game plan, but what does he do when all the bright lights are on him and it's now or never? Does he execute? If he does, I, I think he has a very good chance of winning the fight. But I don't know that he does because I haven't seen him with this kind of spotlight on him. You know, even with the fight with Yoel Romero, that wasn't the the main event, the highly anticipated huge fight. This is this is this is for all the marbles. You lose this fight and it's a huge step back. You're a year or two years away from another title fight. You lose a fight with Yo Romero, you're maybe a fight or two away from it. So it's and he hasn't fought in a while either. So it's a lot of pressure. The question is, can his corner keep him focused and have him fight in an intelligent, disciplined manner? Because if he doesn't, he's going to gas. He's going to get chopped up, and he's going to lose a late by late stoppage, maybe even uh, late submission if he gets too tired. But if he, I think if he is deliberate, what he's doing, he stays on the body, he stays on the legs. I believe he can he can win a decision. Um, worst case scenario, best case scenario, I, I could see him winning winning by stoppage in the later rounds. I guess maybe in the early rounds if, if Israel gets real sloppy, but I don't think that's likely to happen. You don't think it's likely to happen. How do you see this fight playing out? Five round decision for Adesanya? Uh, I really would be. I I I don't think this fight goes to decision. I I don't I don't know that Costa holds up for five rounds, especially if he's getting sniped at. I don't know that Israel. Israel holds up for five rounds if his legs are getting kicked and his body and chest are getting getting punished. I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm not saying it's impossible for it to to go to decision. I I just don't know that either one of these guys is built to to go go to a decision based on who they're facing. As I said before, Adesanya, I don't believe he can catch. I don't believe he can really take punishment like that. So if he's having to take it, I don't think he makes it five rounds. And as good as Cost has been, and as more poised and deliberate he's been in what he's doing, the fact of the matter is he still gets tired. He still can headhunt, and he can still get punished on his entries. If that's happening, I don't think he. I don't think he makes it. Whether it's a cut or whether it's just him legitimately getting stopped, I don't think he makes it all five. Interesting, interesting. I'm looking forward to seeing how this plays out. I had actually totally forgot that the light heavyweight title is up for grabs as well. We have Dominic Reyes versus Jan Blahovich. I don't, I think I, I see Dom Reyes winning this fight, um, but Jan is no, nobody's chump. He's not one to be slept on. He can fucking put, put your lights out. Ask Luke Rockwell. Um, what are your thoughts about this fight, Sean? I think, I, I want to I wanna say I, I probably favor Reyes. Um, he's a better athlete. Um, um, I don't know if he's a better technical striker per se, but I know he's a better attribute striker. He's 
he he hits hard. He's very explosive. He's very strong, you know. And Giannis had issues with athletic guys. You know, people are saying how he, you know, knocked out Corey Anderson. He knocked out Luke Rockhold, and those were spectacular knockouts. But let's be honest about that. Luke Rockhold isn't known for his durability. He's never has been. Knocking him out, what, is that, what does that really mean? He got knocked out by middleweights. Now he's moving up fighting guys who are 30 pounds heavier. What did you expect to happen when Luke Rockhold got hit clean? And if you watch that fight, John, Jan wasn't dominating it. He, he wasn't getting lit up by Luke Rockhold, but Rockhold was able to get him to the cage and hold him there. Rockhold was able to keep him from establishing his jab consistently by using his kicks and his own single strike. Which is con- which is concerning, and even though he's facing a bigger, stronger guy, he was able to hold him against the cage and kind of slow the pace of the fight a little bit. It wasn't like Jan was dominating that fight. He basically landed a counter left hook and put put Rocco's high, fight, lights out. Prior to that point, he wasn't dominating him. He wasn't having his way. He wasn't grown manning him. It was a competitive, fairly even fight, and I would say that that to a degree, maybe even Luke Rocco might have been winning that fight when he fought um, Corey Anderson. Corey Anderson is another guy who's not known for a shin. He's been stopped multiple times. So those, those knockouts leave an impression on you, but they don't leave the right impression because the fact of the matter is he's not known as a knockout guy. He's a guy who's won the majority of his fight by decision. He's grinded guys out. He, he's extended them. He's broken them down over the period of, over the period of three to five rounds. He's a guy who establishes his jab. Who's, he's, he's not hard to hit at all. He's hard to hit the way you want him to hit. He's got good defense. He manages distance pretty well. He's pretty controlled in his offense, his offensive burst. He builds off his jab. He gets everything off his jab. He works the body. He works you in clinches and kind of grinds on you. That, that's what he does. He's a guy who extent who controls the pace, controls the distance, picks his spots, grinds you down, and then kind of turns it up to pull away from you. He's not a devastating type striker. He's not a devastating type puncher. He's not a devastating type grappler. He's not an instant finish guy submission. He's not a guy who just throws you around and takes you down with doubles and, and throws. He, he, that's not who he is. He's a grinder type. At his age, I don't know that he can necessarily maintain the pace and physicality he needs to do against a guy who is also durable, who is also who is more explosive and who is actually a good striker. I don't know that Dominic, Dominic Reyes is super technical, but he's, he's good. He understands the fundamentals of it, and he has a good game plan as far as attacking different levels, setting his shots up, using, using punches and kicks, working in clinches. He, he, he's educated in all of it, and he's a good enough athlete that even though he's technically limited, he, he, can, sp- he, he can fill those spaces with power, explosiveness, and physical strength. So the reason I favor him is because uh, Jan's repeatedly had issues with guys like that. Athletic guys have given him trouble. Corey Anderson gave him trouble, beat him one time. Luke Rockhold beat him one time. Cannoneer, in spots, was able to give him trouble. The only concern I have is will Ray look for the finish? Because if he looks for the finish and goes and empties his tank again, it's going to be the same thing with John Jones. He's going to get walked down, he's going to get exhausted, and then he's going to get, he's going to, he's going to get beaten. Because Jan's not going to give the openings that Jones gives. Jan sets everything up. He works off that jab. He knows how to box. He knows how to keep his, his hands safe to home and parry and block and roll with shots. You're not going to get all the free space and the free real estate that John Jones gave you. You're going to have to work to land every shot. You're going to have to work to land clean. And if your idea of work is just spamming shots or having huge moments of explosive offense, all you're going to do is gas yourself. He's going to get his hands on you. He's going to grind you down. And he's going to beat you with him 
the interview of your life for three rounds and get a win. So I, I would favor Reyes because of his ability, and he seems to be on the upswing. But once again, he hasn't fought in a while either. This is on short notice, so you have to worry about his cardio holding up. And the style of fight he has, because he's not super technical in his offensive or defensive work, he burns a lot of energy. He burns a ton of energy. And if he burns it, he's again, he's going to get walked. Walked down again by a big, strong, durable, intelligent fighter who's going to use attritive damage and disciplined attacks to, to win a close but clear decision. Interesting thoughts there, man. I, I, I'm interested in seeing this fight because I have no idea how it's really going to go. So I appreciate your breakdown on that. Is there anything else that stands out from this card? Um. I really, I'm very interested, in, and one thing, one more thing about this fight before I go, my, what, what else I want to talk about the car. I'm one of the people who thought Jones did enough to win the fight. I understand, and not because of the whole, the cha- you have to be the champion nonsense that everybody hit you with. I, that's, not the, that's not what I'm on. The whole instance was, in the judge's eyes, Reyes set a very, very fast and high pace. Landing shots, backing them up, putting combinations together, landing big, flashy, hard shots. That's all well and good. But when judges are watching you fight, and then they see the first round where you're coming out d- dictating. Second round, you're coming out dictating. And then the third round, you start, you start slowing down. You start hesitating. You start saving your energy. Instead of fighting the whole round, you're picking spots. Instead of coming forward, you're backing up. And you're starting to get hit. The narrative changes in the judge's eyes. And Reyes had to know the narrative's changing. I, don't, I understand the whole picture of the fight. But the, the thing is, they're watching in the fight and they're seeing the narrative change you threw 50 punch 50 strikes the first round you threw 47 in the second round now the third round comes and you throw you throw 27 well obviously what he's doing is getting to you and the fact that you landed over almost 100 shot 100 shots in the first two rounds and this guy's still coming you can't slow him down you can't keep him off you and now your volume's going down his volume's going out you're telling this you're telling the judges that he's beginning to get control and that is my concern for him. This is only a six-week training camp. He's not a guy who has the technical skills to just use his footwork to get away from pressure. He's not the kind of guy who knows how, to, who knows when and when not to punch. You close space on him, he's just going to strike to get space open because he doesn't know how to take an angle. He doesn't know how to fake and pivot out. All he knows is how to strike his way in, strike his way out. So he's going to be constantly burning energy against a guy who's not going to give him clean shot. Any shot he throws can end it, but, but it's going to be hard to throw the end of the shot he needs to, to end the fight and that's where he might get exposed once again for his lack lack of his lack of conditioning for more for um i can't even think right now but his lack of conditioning sorry i did i just had to explain that um the only other fight i was really interested in is Sajar eubanks because she fought like two weeks ago and had a big win over julia avia and now she's, she's fighting again she fought on because i was looking at that too like how the fuck is she she fought a Three-round fight, too. How was she cleared to fight 14 days later? Well, you know, Dana White doesn't really care about people, so <laughs> that's how that happened. I mean, to be quite honest, boxing, I, I mean, I've seen people fight boxing and, and, and fight like two weeks later. You know, if you can make it, they're going to let you fight. Um, the, the reason this interests to me is because Ketlin Vera is basically, she's very similar to Sajara's previous opponent when she fought... Um, when she fought Julia Villa, it's a big, strong, powerful, fairly tough fighter who fights at a high pace. The only, only difference is when she fought Avia. Avia is mostly a brawler and a striker. She can grapple some, but she 
she's not a very finesse grappler. She's not a very high AQ grappler. She's more of a I muscle you, I outwork you, I wear you down, and then I finish you type fighter. Sajara was able to have a safety zone where she could take her down and ride out grappling exchanges because she's a far better grappler. She could work from control. She could throw them with submissions. Anytime, anytime that Avia made a move, she could switch positions, get a, get a better one, threaten with a submission to force Avia to kind of concede position and then get control and wear her down. Avia's mistake was exchanging grappling, getting into grappling exchanges with Sajara, where Sajara could rest, take her time, and maintain control of the fight. Against someone like Caitlin Vera, Vera is not as... Vera is a much better grappler. She's a much better offensive wrestler than I think Julia Avia is. And and that safety zone won't exist. Now, Caitlin Vera isn't great IQ-wise, and I don't know how good her cardio is. I mean, she hasn't really fought a lot in, in, in the previous year, so I don't know that her, her cardio is where it needs to be. I don't know that her mentally she can maintain her focus, but physically she's got the same advantages that Julia Avia had over Sajar Eubanks. Bigger, stronger, faster, generally better condition, probably hits a little bit harder, probably takes a better shot. The only issue is can Sajar navigate her cardio and control the pace of the fight? Because if she can slow the fight down and make it a more technical fight and make it more of a low volume, low activity fight, I believe she can she can eke out a win just just by being a smarter fighter and having a, in my opinion, a better camp that's developed a wider wider set of tools and a wider set of strategies for her. But if the fight gets out of hand as far as the pacing and the physicality, then Caitlin's going to win because we all know that Sajara Eubanks can't fight at pace. She doesn't have the power to slow the pace of a fight, but she does have the experience and she has enough skill on the feet, on the ground, and in grappling as a whole to slow the pace of the fight. The question is, will she be able to? And if, like I said, if she can, she wins the fight. If she can't, um, I don't know that she gets stopped, but I fully expect her to, to lose a uh, disputed decision she's always good enough to be competitive in a fight but not always good enough to win it against the better talent and the better the better opposition not matching there sir uh two news items i wanted to talk about really quickly michael chandler signing with the ufc he is now the alternate fighter for the upcoming Justin Gaethje versus uh, Khabib Nurmagomedov fight. I like the signing. I hate that they put him here. I wish they would have put him in Dustin Poirier's spot to fight uh, Tony Ferguson. I am not a fan of them making that decision, but, you know, UFC's going to do what the UFC's going to do. So what are your thoughts about this, sir? And let me know, where do you think Michael Chandler's going to end up? Uh, my my concern with Michael Chandler is the same concern I've always had. He's still one of the better athletes. He's still explosive. He still hits hard. But the fact of the matter is, Michael Chandler he doesn't he doesn't he doesn't catch as well as he pitches anymore. He just doesn't. He's still maybe an elite finisher, elite hitter, but he can't take those shots. The fights with Eddie Alvarez, the fights with Will Brooks, the fights with you know Primus have have taken his durability, and as a result now. He either gets into a safety zone first where he, he doesn't want to ex- he wasn't overextend or be too aggressive because he's aware of what's coming back at him, or he gets into a position where he's just going to go all out and try to finish you quickly because he knows that he can't handle whatever's coming back at him. And that's a great, that's a great idea in general. But again, in, in Bellator, you know, facing Benson Henderson and guys of that nature, that's a great idea. That's going to be enough because 
you know, Benson isn't the freshest chicken himself. He's not as good an athlete as he used to be. And most of the guys in the division aren't good enough athletes or durable enough fighters to make it through the, the two to three minutes of hell that he can unleash on somebody. We know that as a fact. But we also know that when he faced, when he faced a guy who comparable athleticism, comparable talent, when that guy put two to three shots on him, the fight was over. He couldn't take it. When he fought Primus, who was just a big, strong guy, not necessarily the biggest skilled or, or best, most technical or most athletic guy, as soon as the guy chopped him down, and even when he beat him in the second fight, when every time Primus touched him, he got Mike's respect. Mike wasn't just throwing the volume and the variety that he used to throw because he knew there was a, a high price to pay for doing it. So I don't know that at the UFC level, I know a lot of guys can handle his power. I know they can handle his athleticism. I don't know if he can handle what's coming back. So any fight he gets in is 50-50 at best. Dustin Poirier, 50-50. Tony Ferguson, 50-50. Justin Gates, 50-50. Khabib Nurmagomedov, 50-50. I mean, almost anybody he fights, anybody who can take a good shot is going to be a risk for him because he he no longer can. And until I see him take take clean, powerful shots, I'm not going to be sold on it. And until I'm sold on it, I can't consider him a real contender. Um, I think they want to get the bang for their buck. He, he's shown as being one of the better fighters in Bellator. So if you can get him in, if for some reason he has to fill into that fight, um, if he wins, then, you know, look, Bellator lost their best guy. If he loses, look, the best guy in Bellator history, as far as Bellator is concerned, or as far as they've marketed him, couldn't, couldn't last in my, my octagon. Either way, Dana White wins. His point gets proven. He wins regardless of how it goes. But that's basically the, the story that's going to be told. Um, I don't know that there's any favorable matchups for him. I think he could beat a lot of guys, and I think a lot of guys are capable of beating him. Anywhere from elite guys to guys who are just very good. I, I just feel that he's right on that. He's on that tightrope where he's going to win impressively or he's going to lose impressively. He's going to lose dynamically. It's one or the other. So I feel the same way about Michael Chandler as well. He's taken a lot of damage over his career. I think he is intriguing in MMA, but he's taken a lot of damage. And I don't see him being able to deal with like a Dustin Poirier or a Khabib Michael Madoff. But I want to see him try. I want to see him get out there and put up a Michael Chandler effort because you know he's going to bring the heat one way or another. I really feel like in the case of Poirier, Poirier's lost step athletically. I feel like he hits hard enough, he's strong enough that he can get anybody out there. But once again, at, at the level he's competing at with guys who are comfortable with the athleticism he has, I don't know that he gets in and out clean. And that, that's my problem. I, I've seen Khabib take hellacious shots from, from guys. you know, And when he gets his hands on them, maybe he can't just dominate Chandler and wrestling scrambles or wrestling exchanges. But he can hold on him long enough to get to to put him in bad shots. Chandler won't be able to dominate like he, he's used to dominating with his wrestling either. And he he it, it's been a while since he hasn't been able to dominate somebody with his wrestling for a round or two. That doesn't exist in the UFC. He's not dominating Justin Gaethje with his wrestling. He's not dominating Khabib Nurmagomedov with his wrestling. He might be able to dominate Dustin Poirier, but given Dustin's athleticism and his size and his power. It's not going to be something he's just going to be able to auto positions. He's going to automatically get. He's going to have to work for those, and in working for those, he's going to have to expose himself to punishment. And I, I just don't believe he can take it that anymore. I believe that fight, the fight with Benson Henderson, I believe that fight would have went a round or two. I believe we have a totally different fight. But Henderson's, 
I guess Chen and his ability to recover isn't what it used to be either. And as a result, he was able to finish him quickly. But had that fight gone longer, I, I still believe Vincent Henderson would have found a way to stop him. So I, I just don't have very much faith in his ability to take punishment or his ability to recover it. I still think he can do huge amounts of punishment. I think there's tons of guys he can and will beat. But if they're just throwing him in with the best of the best right now, I'm going to tell you that it's a 50-50 proposition at best. I can agree with that. I can agree with that. But he's either going to go in there and put somebody out or he's going to get put out himself. But it's going to be fun for at least two rounds. Yeah, it's going to be like a male Ronda Rousey. He's either going to wipe the floor with you or he's going to get the he's, he, the floor is going to get wiped with him. It's one or the other. Let's talk about an interesting fight that came up today. Uh, Stephen Thompson took to Twitter to call out Leon Edwards and probably the nicest call out in mixed martial arts history. What do you think about that fight? Is Thompson still a super dangerous threat or do you think Edwards has a technique to be able to, to win that fight? And is that a fight he should be willing to take right now? I would think I would think Edwards would have the skill set to beat him, and he's a good enough athlete, and he's a smart enough fighter. He can fight at range. He can fight at clinch. He can fight in boxing range. I think he would have enough to beat him. I really do. But once again, I still think Thompson's the better athlete. Thompson's obviously the more dangerous striker. Thompson's Thompson, and Thompson's got that unique style. You have to work to get to the spots you want with him, whether it's wrestling or striking. It's not going to be as easy because he throws so much volume. He's so light on his feet, and he's so so non-telegraphing with his strikes. But I don't know that Thompson's an elite guy or a guy you need. He, Leon Edwards should have to fight. Leon Edwards probably deserves the title fight. But the fact that the matter, he's not getting it, so he needs to fight. He needs to he needs to fight. He needs to face someone. He needs to be in there and. He keeps saying he wants a fight. He keeps saying he wants a name. Well, a name called him out. He says he wants a fight. He says everybody's ducking him. Well, now somebody's not ducking him. It's a dangerous fight because if he loses to um, if he loses to to Wonder Boy, that's a huge setback for him. It's a real bad big big setback. It's a real bad look. But the fact is, he said he wants a name and he wants a fight and he wants to prove that he's, you know, that he's an elite guy and he deserves a title fight. And this is the only way he's going to get it. He's not getting Masvidal. He's not going to get Colby Covington. He's not going to get anybody else. So he's got to make the best of the circumstances he has, and he's got to take what's offered to him and make the most of it. But I will say, if he loses that fight, if Wonderboy loses it, it's nothing. He's called up the boogeyman. It's a good look for him either way. If he loses the Wonderboy, that's that's bad, man. I mean, even though... Other guys have lost to him, other name guys, even Jorge's lost to him. The fact of the matter, the position that Leon Edwards is in, he's not—he's really not all that far off from a title fight, and he's been talking a lot. So if he gets beat by decision, or worse yet, he gets stopped by Wonderboy, all the momentum he's had, all the trash talk he's talked goes against him, and it puts him like a year or two away from a title fight. So it's a dangerous fight. It's, it's what he's asked for. It's a name fight. It's a, it, it's a good fight, but it's a fight that is as dangerous as Joanne Calderwood fighting Jennifer Maya. It could essentially take him out of the uh, title picture. Yeah, that's very true. I, I would hate to see that happen. Uh, he's interesting to me because I want to see him piss people off and keep winning because I, you know, I'm always a fan of that. So I'm, I'm really interested in seeing what's next uh, for him. The sad part is he should, he should, he should already be getting a title fight, but it looks like he's going to have to fight at least one, if not two or three other fights before he gets one, because guys are freezing him out. The, guy, the guys are freezing him out. He, there's no top-ranked guy who's trying to call him out. Wonder Boy's been the closest thing to it. 
the Covingtons. Usman doesn't have any power, but Usman's not really going to get him. Burns isn't going to get him. Covington's not going to fight him. Masvidal's not going to fight him. So essentially, he's been frozen out, and he's got to take whatever he can get. And in taking whatever he's going to get, that that is risky. Why do you think that is? Do you think it is because Edwards is that good? Or people just don't think he's a big enough name worth fighting? Why is it that people are trying so hard to face him out of these conversations? What do you think that is? I just think it's a combination. I think part of it is... I mean, he is good, but there's there's not much re- there's not there's not a lot of reward for fighting Leon Edwards. I mean, let's say you beat him, he's not a he's not he's not a big name. It's not going to get you on ESPN Sports Center. It's not going to be huge. It's not going to get the sponsors as far as money. He's not a guy that fans are super familiar with. I mean, he's more familiar considering he's had this win streak. The thing he's known the most for is getting punched in the face by Jorge Masvidal after yeah, a fight. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, he he doesn't he doesn't have much if you want to call it street cred. With MMA fans, he he doesn't have much. So fighting him is 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 a dangerous proposition because you lose him, you lose to him. It'll probably be it'll be pro- probably a dominant win or an impressive win by him, if not by finish. That makes you look bad. It's hard, you know. You don't get finished. It's a tough fight. You can sell that, but you're getting beat by a guy who has no Q rating and a guy who doesn't really move the meter or isn't very popular. That doesn't help your that doesn't help your cause. And even though he's got a bunch of wins, no, nobody can really, nobody really remembers him. The hardcores remember him, but the hardcores don't make you money. They're going to show up anyways. So fighting him doesn't really prove anything. You beat him, then the, you get the hardcore people's respect. But the hardcore people's respect doesn't mean anything to Dana White, and it doesn't really mean much to the fighters. The respect they want is the people who buy the pay-per-views, the people who help them cross over, the people who get them magazine covers and video game covers and help them expand their brand past past mixed martial arts. That's casuals. So based on that, there's no reason to fight Leon Edwards. And Leon Edwards, on the opposite end, has to fight everybody to get the position that he's probably already earned based on merit. So it's it's an interesting uh, it's an interesting situation, but it, it's where we're at. And unfortunately, he's going to have to do what he's got to do if he wants to get these fights because. He's not. He's not. He's not in the. He's on the lead dog position, because of popularity, social media, and and his own fan base. He he doesn't have one. Okay. Okay. You mentioned Q rating, which makes me think of the final question I want to talk to you about tonight. We have this weekend. We have um. The two Charlo brothers are are, are fighting. Does this does this is this okay then how can i ask this question i don't watch every single boxing event i only watch the super big cards tell me why i should sit down and watch these two brothers fight this weekend i've heard a lot of talk about this card uh for the last like maybe two weeks i'm interested in watching it's saturday israel israel adesanya and paulo Costa are fighting as well why should i watch this fight over ufc 253 well i mean the thing about it is one they're exciting they're they're rarely in bad fights they're they're pretty exciting. They look for the knockout. Uh, they're they're good enough fighters to to get good finishes, but they're flawed enough fighters where no fight is really easy. No fight is really one sided. And if it is, they take that guy out. Um, this is the first time either one of them is facing what I consider to be a legitimate puncher. So we've never seen the men with punchers. We've seen them with tough guys, guys who can box, guys who are tough, guys who are experienced. We've never seen the men with guys who can put their lights out. 
And for the first time in their career, they're really facing legitimate, dangerous, time-tested fighters and punchers, like guys who've backed off world, world-class guys, guys who beat up or punished world-class guys. So for the first time, you're going to get to see that. And that, that's a good reason to watch the fight because it's, a, it's, it's, high, it's high-quality matchups. They're not sexy. They're not big cards. They're not exciting cards. But they're high quality. It's a high quality matchup with world titles at stake. And in one of the fights, it's two 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 world champions. But if I'm being honest, this isn't this isn't a pay per view fight. It doesn't have the names. It has good enough competition, but none of these guys are big enough names to justify what they're charging for the pay per view. This is more of a Showtime main event or a PVC PVC um, primetime main event kind of card. This isn't. This isn't the kind of card you you would try to make if you're trying to make money on pay-per-view, especially with no fans. Um, if you want to see a good fight, you watch the fight. That makes sense to me. But if you're trying to see an event, like something that stands out or something that's once in a lifetime and something that's really worth the, the price point on it, this isn't it. It's a, it's a very good fight. It might even be a great fight on a certain level, but it's not a pay-per-view fight. Okay, there we go, sir. There we go. Um, let everybody know what you're working on, man. We've, this has been a really good show. We, we talked about it a lot today. Let everybody know what you're working on. Man, the Lakers Hello. are down by 20, but go ahead. Yeah, uh, man, it's the same thing with me. I'm, I'm just working on my working on some different pieces for some some characters and trying to you know, talk to Mike about what he thinks will work or what will get us the most bang for the buck in, in articles. But mostly I'm just working on my articles with the way COVID is in movie theaters. Some of the some of the pieces I'm working on might, might be on – hold indefinitely just because of the nature of the movie business right now so yeah, that's where i'm at just you know talking mma on on twitter and writing the pieces for these uh characters that everybody knows and loves good stuff good stuff well i'm doing the same old man a whole bunch of uh, excuse me a whole bunch of pro wrestling to cover um i am do you listen to andre's hill uh podcast uh yeah i've listened to it a couple times yeah, I'm I'm booked I'm wait I'm booked to interview the his co-host Kel Damsey, uh in like two or three weeks. So we got that coming on the MMA ratings interview series, which should be a good talk. We'll be talking MMA and pro wrestling and other foolishness. As uh, there's, there's I'm going to be running and trying to take his black card actually during during this conversation. We're going to have a lot to talk about. But outside of that, man, it's another day of content. And you know how we do here at MMA Ratings. As always, you can check us out on the flagship, MMARatings.net. You can catch us on both Instagram and Twitter under the same handle, MMA Ratings. And our podcast can be found on Anchor, YouTube, Spotify, Apple iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Breaker as well. You can catch me on Instagram and Twitter at rgarcia underscore sports. And Shawan can catch him at Black Jordan Green. But thank you again for checking out this show. We'll be back next week. And everyone have a great night. Have a good night, everybody.